as the Bible states, ashes to ashes, dust to dust. You know, we we actually are made up of stuff of the earth plus some intangible quality that we call life force. And, and that's one of the one of the sort of dangers to a certain extent of getting too engaged with um, what I call a reductionist understanding of the world. I mean, I'm, I'm a geologist, so, you know, that that's given that we have to understand more and more and more about the material world we live in. But unfortunately, the tendency is that we look towards the dead end, end of it and not the living. And one of the reasons for that is that the dead end can be quantified. We can measure it, we can understand it, we can weigh it, we can look at things in you know, a, a, a sort of a microscope sort of manner. But when it comes to vitality and life, we have a real difficulty there. And I think that that's the next paradigm. That's the next thing that science really needs to grab hold of. I founded the BWA Collective, a not-for-profit organization that aims to bring nutritional education and mental health support to the fashion and creative industries. I believe the topics we discuss throughout our series are relevant to whatever industry that you work in or any issues that you might be facing. Because as a collective, together, we are stronger. Welcome everyone to this week's episode of Live Well, Be Well with your host Sarah Ann Macklin and I am very excited for today's episode to share with you. I had such an interesting conversation with a fantastic professor called Dr. David Thomas. Now he has had one of the most interesting careers to date. He started off as a young athlete in the 60s as a team GB sprinter. And then he became a geologist and then he retrained in his 30s as a chiropractor and later as a nutritionist. So he's had a very interesting background and he's focused a lot of his research and papers on the impact of how minerals relate to our health overall. And it's a really interesting one for me this because I think so many times we always focus on the macronutrients, the carbohydrates, the proteins, the fats... And we don't always tend to look at these essential trace elements and minerals, which are so important to so many metabolic and enzymic processes within our body, neurologically for our mental health, emotionally and physically. So today I've got a real expert here to take us through the importance of this. And actually, even if we're eating a healthy diet, are we still gaining enough of these trace elements? Because... He's done some fantastic research into over the years the depletion of our soil and the effects that's having on the foods that we're consuming and how nutrient dense they are. So I'm not going to keep rambling on, but I wanted to give you a short insight into this podcast today. It's so fascinating and I really, really hope you enjoy it as much as I enjoyed recording it with David. Now, before we jump into today's episode with Dr. David Thomas, I wanted to take a moment to thank my incredible sponsors and very good friends of the BWAG Collective, OMG Water, for sponsoring today's podcast, because without them, these episodes could not happen. So thank you, OMG Water. Many of my followers will know I love this brand. I 
I love them so much that when I tried to order the cans last series, they were all sold out. And I know many of you love them too. They are a new drinks brand, but they have no preservatives in, sugars or additives. And they give you up to 56 milligrams of your daily magnesium. And that is as much as an avocado. It's one of my favorite facts and I say it all the time. But as you know, for me, food is always first. And sadly, many of us today are depleted in magnesium. And it's very relevant to this podcast today because this podcast focuses around mineral depletion of our soil. And magnesium is one of the biggest nutrients and trace minerals. And magnesium is at a high risk factor of this. I wanted to share with you a clinical trial that Dr. David Thomas, who I speak to in this episode, shared with me today regarding magnesium. Now, a recent clinical trial conducted in the United States found that magnesium supplements are effective in the treatment of mild to moderate depression. And this was published in the PLOS One journal. And the researchers showed that daily supplementation with magnesium leads to significant decreases in depression and anxiety symptoms, regardless of the patient's age, gender, baseline severity of depression, or the use of antidepressant drugs. Now, as you know, for me, food is always first, so please make sure that you are eating your greens and your nuts, which are rich in magnesium. But after this podcast today, you'll realise that sometimes the soil can affect the quality of the trace minerals and nutrients within our food. So grab your magnesium water from OMG and you can do that from www.ohmgwater.com and I will also pop their website in the show notes. David, welcome to Live Well, Be Well today. Thank you so much for coming on to this podcast. Firstly, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. Um, Looking forward to it. (laughs) Well, well, me too. I feel like we were just having a brief conversation there and I had to abruptly kind of stop because you were saying so much incredible information that I wanted to make sure that this was in the podcast. Um, And I feel like we're going to have a really good chat today. So before we kind of start off and talk about the importance of nutrition and mineral health and the impact that the soil is having on our nutritional status today and why it's taken so long to get to this pace of recognising the importance of this, you've had a really amazing, colourful career. Uh, You've done so many different things from being an athlete in the as a team GP sprinter, becoming a geologist, a nutritionist, a chiropractor. So can you first of all just give all of my listeners a little bit of insight into your incredible journey um, to date? Well, incredible journey sounds amazing in its own right. But, you know, again, I think we all sort of accept the life that we have. And I've, I've actually always been interested in the human body right the way from the very beginnings of my athletics career. Um, and then as a geologist, you know, I've worked in Africa mainly doing copper, lead, zinc, cobalt, chromium, gold, uranium exploration and mining. And then I had a relatively early midlife crisis and um, went to America and retrained as a chiropractor. One of the main reasons for that is that I had to give up my athletics aspirations because I damaged my back 
believe it or not, weight training with a, a guy called Jeff Capes, who ultimately turned out to be one of the world's strongest men. Wow. <laughs> so, you know, that, that was my initiation. I damaged my back and that was the end of the athletics component. But chiropractic became, again, an integral part of my life in terms of just trying to um, re- regain some sort of balance in the biomechanical field. And chiropractic has an amazing philosophy um, that can be actually incorporated in most people's lives. And it teaches you about um, the intelligence of the body. So there's a basic philosophical quote to chiropractic is there is an innate awareness of every innate need. So in other words, we have an inner wisdom of the body that we all generally regard as completely given, you know, as its norm, and we don't really have to think about it. And that's exactly what what it should be, because when we eat, you know, uh, um, I don't know, a sandwich, we don't think to ourselves, well, this bit's going to become our fingernail, this bit's going to become our hair, or whatever it might be. That's the innate wisdom of the body. And then we have an educated mind, which gives us an understanding of the world around us. And invariably, um, those two should work in synchrony, but they can work in conflict. And that's where stress comes into life and one thing and another. But I'm already actually going off on a tangent here. So I've I've come back to um, the the aspects of chiropractic, which is a wonderful um, system of trying again to optimise body, the body health. Chiropractic per se in its roots has nothing whatsoever to do with a pain in the neck or a pain in the back. What it's saying is that the nervous system is really the master controller of the body and it can be in some way impinged or impaired in terms of the body's ability to run itself by what we technically call in the jargon subluxations when things are slightly out of balance. So the concept is that you should go to see your chiropractor from literally cradle to grave to stay well, not to actually resolve issues. Mm. Now, having said that, actually resolving issues is part and parcel of what chiropractors currently do because people don't understand the the philosophy behind it. And when I got involved with chiropractic, which is dealing with the biomechanical optimization of the of the body i soon realized that actually people who had back related issues also had biochemical considerations and that started to uh, engage me with biochemistry and i became one of the founder members of something called the the, the register of uh, nutritional therapists this is in the 80s the, the late 80s and again, got very engaged with um, minerals, um, with um, nutrition per se, in terms of diets and one thing and another. And then lo and behold, I discovered that those things which I've been exploring for and mining actually had a therapeutic role within the body. And that again, obviously fascinated me because it, it, you know, from a geological perspective, you can actually say, well, this is where the sources are. And ultimately, they become part of our food and nutrition, and they become part of us. And uh, gradually understood that these tr- minerals and trace elements were 
an essential part of the optimization of our general health and well-being, physically, mentally, and emotionally, in the same way that I spoke about the um, biomechanical component of uh, chiropractic being being essential for optimizing our health, then equally there's a biochemical consideration. And the biochemical consideration I've again found fascinating because we're essentially made up of water. So we're 60% water. And if you can think of a pyramid, the next big bit are minerals and trace elements. And that's the foundation of the pyramid. And if that isn't in balance, then the rest of it, doesn't work as well as it could or it should do, if that makes some sort of sense. And one of the one of the things that was very much part of the sort of naturopathic nutritional uh, input at in the eighties and early nineties was a mantra that sort of said, "The foods that we eat today are not as nutritious as they used to be." But there was no sort of scientific proof of that. And again, I go back to some of my geology times when I'm actually a, a fellow of the Geological Society. So I have a scientific sort of element associated with the way that my head works. And I thought, well, that's very interesting. But, you know, how can you prove that? And I came across a book which is, it was absolutely like the Bible of the um, conventional dietitians, and it's called The Composition of Foods. And The Composition of Foods, <coughs> um, the, the copy that I picked up was in 1991, and I looked at it and it said the fifth edition. So I thought, well, that's very interesting. I wonder what the first edition, where did that come into being? And I took myself off to the British Library. And fortunately, because I'm a fellow of the Geological Society, I could actually access all the old editions. And I started to compare and contrast the foods um, data-wise from the 1940s right the way through to that time, 1991. And it's very, very interesting that in the 1940s, this was, again, published in the 1940s, but it actually originated in the 1920s when, the, again, the penny began to drop that nutrition had a possible role in health and well-being because the British Medical Association decided to do this research work because of the growing incidence of diabetes at that time. And they thought, you know, maybe diet has something to do with it, but they didn't know what foods were actually made up of. And at that time, they, I think they um, analysed for things like fats, carbohydrates, proteins. Proteins were under the, under the sort of the general umbrella of amino acids at that time. They weren't as um, aware then about the sub-components of these different nutritional um, groups that we, we are today. But the first... Um, trace element that they or the the trace element that they analyzed for at that time was copper because copper was found to be um essential in 1928 <clears throat> so i managed to trace from 1940 through these five editions the 
Um, well, actually, it was 72 different foods from memory. And they, they, I divided them up into vegetables, fruits, dairy products, meat products. And, uh, and, and literally sort of just done um, what I call a, a mean average of these different inputs of, of the main minerals, i.e. calcium, magnesium, potassium, sodium, and then copper, and actually iron. Iron was also part of that. And I found that over that period of time, the actual reduction in that one trace element of copper, the mean average was 62%. So think about that in terms of subsequently, they found out that selenium, manganese, um, molybdenum, um, iodine, a variety of chromium, a variety of other trace elements are now is considered to be essential. So if, if copper has reduced 62% over that period of time, it gives you some understanding that that also relates to other trace, trace minerals. And when we're talking about trace minerals, the, the reason why we talk about it being trace is that they are minute amounts, absolutely minute amounts. So visualize, for instance, a teaspoon. A teaspoon contains five milligrams. One of the major um, macronutrients, which we also tend to be incredibly deficient in, is magnesium. And magnesium has a, a, what they call a recommended daily allowance of about 375 milligrams. So you're looking at about three quarters of a teaspoon thereabouts. Now, the, the trace element is often an element that is less than 100 milligrams, significantly less than 100 milligrams. So zinc, for instance, is about 10 milligrams. So that's one five hundredth of a teaspoon, to put it into some sort of perspective. And mm. chromium, which is a, f something in the order of, I think it's 40 micro, micro, um, micrograms, is one 125th thousandth of a teaspoon. I mean, it's, wow. you know, we're talking about minimal amounts, but yeah. with chromium, if you don't have chromium, you won't actually metabolize all your carbohydrates in the way that you should do. So th these minute amounts play a significant role in optimizing our general health and well-being. So that's that's the story behind that particular research work, and it was it was ultimately picked up. I wrote it in the 1990s, but it was ultimately picked up and published in something called um, Nutrition, uh, the Health and Nutrition, Health and Nutrition, in nine, in 2002, and then I republished it again with an, another edition of, of the composition of foods in 2007. And I, wow. I've, I put lo lots of different nuances of the rhymes and reasons why this is significant to us generally. Um, wow. Well, we're going to yeah. get into that. I mean, I have so many questions listening to you, <laughs> and I feel like I might have forgotten half of them because that is su it's such an interesting journey. And thank you also for just taking us straight into the importance of trace elements and minerals because it's something that you know 
not many of us talk about and not many of us know about and actually explaining it in teaspoons and the micro doses it's needed because when I talk about sugar I always explain it in teaspoons you know and you look at like your maximum allowance and that's seven a day and that's when you need to be at your max and when you're looking at which obviously gives you no beneficial side of nutrition Mm. when we're looking at trace elements and we were talking about you know those minuscule amounts but actually the importance of them kind of put into understanding of you know why are these so important so love could you just break down for everyone who's listening because you mentioned a few there such as copper and magnesium and I know that Within the UK, up to you know, seventy percent of us can be depleted in magnesium, and especially you being a Team GB sprinter, you'll know as well that athletes have a ten to twenty percent more need for magnesium because it's depleted heavily. Um, would you be able to run through like the importance of why we need to have these trace elements and minerals within our diet, and why it's so important to our overall functioning of health? Well, again, the reason why these things are now considered to be essential is that they've done the research work necessary to understand the significance of what happens when you're, you, you don't have sufficient. And I think, it, it, the again, without going specifically into the mineral side, the first awareness that we had of, of this was actually uh, scurvy in the Navy. Vitamin C. Vitamin yeah. C, and they they sub- subsequently realised that if you don't have sufficient vitamin C, you develop these symptoms, and so it's relatively easy in terms of macro macro minerals, i.e., calcium, magnesium, sodium, potassium, those sorts of things, to discern what happens to people when they are deficient in them, mm. because that they. You know they're they're there. They're they're far more evident in the chemical analysis of our foods, mm-hmm. but trace elements, as I've dis- uh, mentioned, are in literally trace amounts, and they're minuscule. And what they've had to do invariably is actually animal experiments, where they've made these animals deficient in these different. Um, trace elements and seen the sort of the results that have taken place and there there are some sort of giants in that area that um have sort of brought to attention for instance um that zinc you know plays a huge role i think there's something now known of 200 different coenzyme reactions that take place as far in the body as far as zinc is concerned it's hugely important for sexual health it's mm. hugely important initially one of the, the the more recent awarenesses is actually in anorexia you know that it comes through on, in that particular vein in terms of immunity in, in terms of um, just optimizing health Mm-hmm. Um, and often, again, like these these minerals are not necessarily um, used definitively in any one chemical reaction in the body. But if they're not there, the chemical reaction cannot take place. So, mm-hmm. for instance, you mentioned magnesium, and it's an integral uh, mineral into in what's called the Krebs cycle in turn, turning. Um, carbohydrates into energy so if you don't have the magnesium you won't get the it's not used directly in the Krebs cycle but it has to be there in order for the carbohydrates to become a a, a, a sort of ATP Mm. so the, the, the the essentiality of these and again 
when you go into not just trace elements, but ultra trace elements such as lithium and boron and zircon and various other ones, they invariably play a role because we are made up of minerals. I mean, again, you know, the, 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 as the Bible states, ashes to ashes, dust to dust. You know, we we actually are made up of stuff of the earth plus some intangible quality that we call life force. And, and that's one of the one of the sort of dangers to a certain extent of getting too engaged with um, what I call a reductionist understanding of the world. I mean, I'm, I'm a geologist, so, you know, that that's given that we have to understand more and more and more about the material world we live in. Mm. But unfortunately, the tendency is that we look towards the dead end, end of it and not the living. And one mm. of the reasons for that is that the dead end can be quantified. We can measure it, we can understand it, we can weigh it, we can look at d- things in you know, a, a, a sort of a microscope sort of manner. But when it comes to vitality and life, we have a real difficulty there. And I think that that's the next paradigm. That's the next thing that science really needs to grab hold of. And I, I remember my... Um, I think it was one of my sons came home from school and asked me about um, Newton, Sir Isaac Newton, and he and I said, yeah, he's the guy who you know sat under um, the apple tree and the apple fell on his head and you know this was how they discovered gravity, and my son said yes. I said you know that's right, and he asked me other things and I said yeah, but have they told you how the apple gets there in the first place? And, of course, those sorts of things which deal with levity and the living entity of the earth is something, again, that we, we're just beginning literally to scratch the surface and understand. Mm-hmm. So there is a danger, if you like, that you go too deep into the reductionist understanding of the significance of these things without really understanding then that, again, going back to the chiropractic philosophy, that there is an innate awareness of every innate need, mm-hmm. that if you you need to give it to the body in order that the body can utilise it according to its own needs. Does that make some sort of sense? No, it really does. I've got about 20 questions going through in my head and thinking which is the most important to ask after, after such an amazing insight. I think for most people, just hearing what you're telling them about trace elements and minerals and you know because we do we have this understanding even in biochemistry and in the nutrition side of things we're always talking about you know amino acids and the building blocks and lipids which is fats and glucose and carbohydrates and we're always talking about about these main components but it's it's quite rare that we're always discussing especially in public health around these trace elements and the importance of them and I think a lot's been discussed recently around the importance of magnesium, especially in relation to mental health, because there are a lot of the cofactors that help build these neurotransmitters. But when people look at food and they think, okay, well, I'm, I'm having my broccoli or I'm having my spinach and I'm having vegetables, I must be gaining appropriate amounts of all of these minerals that, that you know, David's talking about. But are we really getting what we need? Because obviously in the beginning of this conversation, you said that you were looking over the years from the decline of these trace elements in our food to know how can people be aware if they are actually gaining these trace elements and how could they be aware that they might actually be deficient even if they are eating a wide variety source of foods? 
Well, it's a, it's a very, very good question, Sarah, and it's, a, it's actually a very, very difficult one to answer. Um, mm. I think we have to understand, you know, going back in terms, again, of different farming methods that have occurred over historically. And I remember studying at school what they call the three-year the three, uh, rotation um, and then a guy called Turnip Townsend came along and he this, he said, well, it should be a four-year rotation. And the four-year rotation was something like wheat and then it was uh, clover and then it was um, oats and then it was turnips. And you had the opportunity of those four rotations to actually fix nitrogen into the uh, soil through the clover and when the clover was in the field, the cattle could come and um, uh, defecate on the fields, and that would give back to the fields what is, is required. But over the, the, the more recent years, what has happened is that many, many plants, we've, we've gone into an industrial farming uh, mm. consideration. And on one extreme, you have the soil, which geologically is such a precious, precious, precious resource being completely trampled on um, and being used as a medium for plant growth in the same way that hypotonics, if you like, is a, is a similar sort of medium. But on the other hand, you have the sort of organic biodynamic sort of farming practices, which are saying, actually, the soil provides a medium um, that enables the plant roots to take up the trace element component and the, obviously the mineral component that is, is inherently present within the soil. So <clears throat> that's, that's the two extremes. Mm. And, of course, the, 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 the major food input to us as individual human beings is... Um, invariably through the industrial farming methods and their way of farming not necessarily precludes but it doesn't actually provide for those um, trace and ultra trace elements and what you and I I would call nutrient dense foods mm. it really is making um, a, a piece of broccoli for instance um, something which is green and fluffy and big. I mean, that's the other thing. It's also all gone towards size and weight rather than necessarily, again, nutrient-dense uh, qualities. Mm -hmm. So there's a huge um, difficulty in saying definitively this or definitively that because, again, you have a variation of how soil is actually generated. It's it dependent on the parent rock what you ultimately get in the soil so it again it changes from area to area to area in fact one of the most recent um, subdivisions in the geological profession is something called medical geology and medical geology is actually looking at um, trace and ultra trace elements that are present um, in the world that either cause deficiency or toxicity into the native populations um, because of the inherent geology of the parent rock that they, the soils are, are being created from. So again, there's the, you know, the, there's no uniformity to this. 
um, that it depends, like you mentioned now, an athlete, for instance. Well, you know, we're not all athletes. You know, some of us um, actually work a lot with our heads. And as a result of that, you've got to look at, well, what is it that um, are the, the nutrients that make us require um, the, the nervous energy to enable that to actually happen? And therefore, you need to look at the individual personality, their age, their their, their circumstances to provide an appropriate nutritional regimen. Mm. Um, and that's looking at it as a nutritionist, but it, it also requires of the individual to understand what is it that what I, that I'm creating myself within my lifestyle environment that needs support. So if you're dealing with a, a lot of head stuff, mental stuff, there's a lot of stress, then they're the things that you need to say, okay, that's my lifestyle at the moment. I can't all trip because of I don't know, economic circumstances. I've got a mother, I'm a mother with six kids or whatever it might be. So I need to look at the B vitamins. I need to look at the magnesium. I need to look at the potassium in order to make sure that that is very much part of either supplementing or that I look at foods which are organically, biodynamically grown to understand where um, they are the micronutrient-dense components that I need to incorporate to make sure that they're part of my diet. And then the mm -hmm. rest of it is you also have to have an implicit trust in your body's ability to know itself. So again, there's an innate awareness of every innate need. And if you feed it the proper stuff, then the body will respond accordingly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Then that is always my philosophy. I think the really sad part of Western medicine, and I'm, I'm sure you might agree with this, is that we always, we always go towards a pill or a quick fix as opposed to the preventative side and actually getting to the deep root of the issue. So it's not always the way and it's not always the answer nutrition, but it can be a very good starting block before we get to that medical side of um, whether you're, say, if you're suffering with depression, looking at things that can really help nutritionally wise and lifestyle wise before you're medicated in the, in the beginning stages. And that might not be enough, but certain things can really help, such as, you know, as you said, stress. Magnesium is one of the biggest cofactors that works in many of those pathways that activates the stress response um, and if you're depleted in it again you know that could be one route of looking at your magnesium intake um, I think it's so hard for people today who aren't into or who aren't you know registered nutritionists or you know kind of focus on this area to understand if they are gaining enough from from their foods I think that's a, a really difficult path to navigate so and I'm always a little bit wary around talking around supplementation because I do also think that there's so many brands out there today where you can just go and buy any supplement off the shelf and it is very important to understand that supplements well nutrients all work in synergy with one another and that is a really important thing to understand so we don't want to have too much of one supplement because it can kind of throw the other other processes of work so what's your kind of view on supplementation so for anyone here who's listening who's thinking well maybe I should increase magnesium or maybe I should increase copper or maybe I should look at my selenium levels you know what's your advice regarding supplementation and how people should approach that 
Oh, it's a big one, Sarah. It's a very big one. The thing, <laughs> the thing is, that I think, can we go step a, a step back a little bit further? Yes, yes. Before that, please do. That, that is answered, because um, it's a hard one to answer. I know. <laughs> well, it's it's an appropriate one, and, and it's a question that many many people have, quite rightly. Mm. Um, and you know, the, the 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 general understanding is that you should have, let's say, a multivitamin, multimineral as a general fertilizer. You know, that's a, a reasonable understanding because, again, the aspects of the foods today are not as nutritious as they used to be. And let's just leave it at that. And then I think you need to look at your own individual makeup. Are you tall, skinny, nervous type, or are you? you know, a metabolic sort of system consideration that you need to look at your your gastrointestinal tract to make sure that that's efficient. There's so many different nuances. But mm. the thing also which is, and I love concepts, I, I love sort of trying to, un, you know, understand how we as individuals remain, how do we best look at ourselves? And one of the, there was a, a, a lovely man um, called Stephen Davis who set up a company called BioLab. I don't know if you've come across BioLab in London. And Stephen used to uh, also edit a, a, a magazine or a journal called the Journal of Nutritional Medicine. And in the 1990s, and Stephen incidentally was a patient of mine, a chiropractic patient of mine. So we had a lot sort of in common. He wrote the paper called Evolution, Adaptation and Life. And in that paper, it's a, I recommend you have a read of it. It's really good co concepts. He talks about um, our adaptive capacity. So you, th you think about um, when you're born, with, and we've got so much more now understanding of the significance of DNA. And I always remember my teacher in the States said, if you want really, really good health, what you have to do is select your great, great, great grandparents very well indeed. So there's a huge genetic component. But mm -hmm. given that, from the moment, if you like, of conception, we, we are nourished in terms of um, through the, the mother's, uh, through the pregnancy. Um, but we also suffer traumas, potential traumas. Again, it can be emotional. Again, it can be um, physiological. And it can, again, be biochemical in terms, again, of different, uh, I won't go into the food industry with colorings, flavorings, preservatives, and everything else, but also medications and a variety of other things. And the body has to cope with it. And as it copes with it, our adaptive capacity is diminished. So we need to look at the physical, mentally, emotional, psychological issues of those traumas and how they potentially eat away at our adaptive capacity until eventually the body says, sorry, can't deal with this anymore. And it passes a symptom threshold and symptoms manifest. And those symptoms can be different with different people. So, for instance, uh, you're talking about magnesium, but there's a wonderful woman called Milig, uh, Mildred Selig. And Mildred was a, a, a doctor in America who just had a real passion about magnesium. And she 
has written a number of different papers and a number of different considerations of, of magnesium, incredibly well referenced. But what she was talking about is a, a, a thing that you would have heard of, but I don't know that the general public have generally, and that's the metabolic X syndrome. Yeah. So you're looking at obesity, you're looking at high blood pressure, you're looking at cardiovascular disease, you're looking at diabetes, you're looking at hyperglycemia. And what she was saying is that the root cause of all of that potentially is a magnesium deficiency. And that will express itself in different ways dependent on the DNA or the genetic makeup of the individual concerned. So again, here, you can begin to start seeing how the same deficiency can have a multitude of different symptomatic responses. And that, again, is, a, is why the individual person needs to become more aware of themselves and what, what's pushing their buttons. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and, yeah. No, it's, it, that, it's, so it's so important. And I think... I do think many people, you know, do try to be aware of the plant-based foods they might be eating or maybe reducing meat. But I think this deeper level of conversation, which is where dietitians and nutritionists come in and, you know, conversations like this on podcasts are so vital because it's sadly three quarters of our supermarket baskets are full of processed foods today. And many of these processed foods that are on offer are also marketed very healthily. And so there can be this very kind of misleading concept today within our food environment that we are placed in. And sometimes that's not down to the person's lack of awareness of wanting to have a healthy diet, but it can be very misleading as to actually how much they're gaining. You mentioned a great word, which we use a lot, such as nutritionally dense foods. You know, how nutritionally dense is people's diet when you really look at it? So when it comes into the supplementation side, which, which you said, you know, I think it, from my side, it would be so important to go and see a nutritionist um, to actually have a look at your, your food and, and the diet and the quality. But it is really important to actually strip that back and, and see, as you said, you mentioned it really well and you spoke really eloquently about it. Are you a small, skinny individual that's got quite an anxious, you know, side mm. of them? Like all of these factors, sometimes we can just put into a box and say that's just normal and actually it doesn't have to be normal but we've got to a very high stress life at the moment where we do kind of push aside these physical symptoms that come up into it's fine it will sort itself out that's normal which is quite worrying yeah and again that normality is um is again an individual understanding i mean the, the thing that the other thing which, again, I think people miss completely, and this is something, again, which is very much geologically orientated, and that is that it's taken, if you, take, if you just accept, for instance, the Darwinian understanding of life, then I can go into more esoteric things if necessary, but the Darwinian understanding of life is that it's taken 4.5 billion years to get to this particular point in our evolutionary history. And we are the pinnacle of that. We have to understand that, that we are the pinnacle of that evolutionary process. 
and we contain within ourselves that whole evolutionary process. So we can look at, the, for instance, the uh, extracellular fluid in the body as being the sea that bathes all the, all the cells in the body. So the, the need for the electrolytes um, are paramount. But what I'm trying to get at is that the ability of our body to adapt and compensate and adjust to the environment that we live in is phenomenal. It's miraculous. And none of us really fully appreciate that because it's a given. You know, we don't appreciate that the, the immune system of the body is fully capable of looking after us to the best of its ability. And if we provide and we nourish that again, not just physically, but mentally and emotionally, then the body is capable of being the, the, the perfect vessel for us as an individual's entity to live our lives. And that's the thing which we, we don't really um, fully appreciate that the, it, this lovely environment, especially now in outside, sunny, glorious, beautiful, but that environment is actually designed to kill us. And it's only our internal immune system capability that actually pushes against that and allows that adaption, compensation and adjustment to the environment. And we need to really be more and more aware of the powers that of the body is in, that is inherently there and nourish it accordingly. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know it's a simple message, but it's... It, it's a very profound one that you know the vast majority of people uh, you know they don't understand it and i'm again i'm you know the challenges that have taken place but when i when i was born um the government believe it or not used to give you what's called a halobolinge tablet which is a vitamin c test it's for children um a, a spoonful each day of malt extract and cod liver oil in order to support the immune system of of children post war mm-hmm. and here we are that was due today. to rationing wasn't it well it was due, due to, to rationing, rationing. Mm-hmm. yeah but the, the again the 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 the, the non communicable diseases the chronic non communicable diseases that are, are now prevalent throughout the world didn't exist to the degree that that they did they did then you know mm-hmm. I, it's just you know, all we need to do is observe and, you know, also recognize, you know, again, going back to the soil and things like that, that we are part of the environment. We're not separate from it. And, you know, it's, it again, take into account the evolutionary processes that are necessary to bring us here. And the, the soil is a perfect example of that because the soil is in, in some text that I've read is the the fifth kingdom, i.e. there's the animal, the plant, the mineral, the human. The soil is the fifth because Mm. it is a living entity and that living entity enables the the bedrock and everything else to be broken down in order for the plants to take up the nutrients that are necessary there. Mm. And in a similar sort of manner, we we are now discovering that the, the gut biome is so important to our health and well-being, not just mm-hmm. physiologically, but psychologically. Mm-hmm. And that is, you can regard that, if you like, as the humic layer within the human being. Mm-hmm. 
And it's the same process. If you destroy the the humic layer on the soil through too much NPK fertilizers or compaction or whatever, the the plants which grow on it can't extract what is necessary to make it a nutrient-dense plant. Equally, it's not, again, what we eat necessarily, it's what we absorb and can assimilate from what we eat. And that plays a huge role, again, in terms of the gut biome. Mm -hmm. So there's all sorts of nuances which are never straightforward. They're all interacting. Yeah. And so do you feel that, I mean, you touched on organic a few times and biodynamic, and there's always a huge debate of whether people should have organic food because it's very healthy, but relating it back to the soil, it does sound that there is actually a really important integral need to try to, if you can and afford to, veer more towards organic produce due to the soil. Would I be right in that or not? Yeah, again, in many ways, what what has... I don't you know, the, the organic element is something where, unfortunately, because of marketing, you've yeah. ended up with it, with it being organic is saying it has absence of fertilizers, pesticides, um, fungicides. So it's the absence of rather than that's where the marketing has been rather than because it's, it's far better. And I think that again, it comes back to uh, the measuring element because, you know, various people have said, well, I, you know, I've got an organic tomato and I've got, you know, one produced from a supermarket and we look at the difference biochemically and there's not much difference between the two. What we're missing out is the ability of our, our bodies, again, to smell something, to look at the quality of the foods, to begin to take, you know, the taste appreciation of the difference between one and the other. And that comes back again to this this thing that we mentioned, the difference between reductionism, understanding of the world, and a quality is very, very difficult to measure. So the biodynamic and organic uh, sort of farming industries are actually they're stewards you know, of the landscape, whereas industrial farming, it, it's just a medium that produces something. Mm. And that's where the difference lies, is that the, many of the farmers and the people who are absolutely dedicated to providing these, these nutritious food sources to the communities that they serve um, are actually the stewards of the landscape. They see the integration of the animal, vegetable, mineral component and recognise the significance of it for our general health and well-being. I mean, I think we've, we're absolutely incredibly fortunate, and especially where I live. I mean, we have two biodynamic farms and they're an integral part of the community, yeah. It's fascinating. I did do a podcast, a couple of series ago, I can't remember if it was series two now, about biodynamic farming and agriculture and regenerative farming and the importance of that and something that came out of that was that we only have 60 top soils left which is actually quite shocking you know what do you see um you know kind of bringing this round to the beginning you know what do you see as the future of our of our food because as we as we are now we've come through this conversation of understanding 
the development of the realization of nutrition to our health, mentally, physically, emotionally, we've seen to over the last hundred years, it's become much more of a prominent factor of discussion. However, now we're seeing a depletion of where our food's being grown and we're rapidly seeing the decline of these trace elements and these important factors that are needed for our health. You know, where do you see it, this going in the future? Where do you see the kind of nutritious element of our food going and um, and our soil overall? Well, again, I, I'm just hoping that, you know, the penny begins to drop. Mm. You know, I mean, it, I, I think there is a growing awareness of within a, a growing um, minority, unfortunately, of people that nutrition plays an integral part of our health and well-being. And mm-hmm. in order to optimise our health, we need to look at that in more detail than we have in the past. And, you know, again, uh, I've also had the opportunity to go to something which is called a food ingredients fair. And you, it is horrendous. I mean, it is absolutely horrendous. You have basic food commodities which are let's say wheat corn and and i i mean i'm talking about the whole pig or the whole beef or whatever it might be and they are then again going back to this reductionist understanding broken down to their individual amino acids or their individual fat components or whatever it might be and along comes the 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 21st century chef and he gets a bit of this and a bit of that and a bit of this and a bit of something else they then go to the colorings flavorings preservatives area and come up with a concoction that we give our children with a some sort of milk derivative and that's that's their nutrition and that has become the norm. I mean, I, 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 there was a number of years ago, there's that, that program, I don't know if you, Radio 4, and there's a guy called John Humphreys. And I turned on the radio and, and uh, this, he said, and it was a mid-interview, and he said, are you serious and it turned out he was talking to a professor of Newcastle University. He said, are you serious that now, only now, they've discovered that advertising to children works? No, seriously. They, they got, and, you know, by that stage, McDonald's and everybody else had actually changed the whole dietary co- uh, components of our civilization because science hadn't realised that advertising to children works. And this is 30, 40 years after the event that the penny is bloody dropping. Excuse my French. But, you yeah. know, it, it, really right. irks, it really irks me that, mm. you know, that, that we are so much in, the, the, uh, in control of the media industry and in terms of not just the food and drinks industry but also the pharmacology which is added to that as well Mm. that we're we're blinded to it somehow Mm. and as i I said to you before the 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 podcast there are so many 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 in magnificent individuals in the past who have constantly come back and said nutrition plays a huge role 
And that one of them is uh, uh, Sir Robert McCarrison, who was the, uh, the Surgeon General of the British Raj in the 1900s. And he had the ability to, to go around India and he noticed the different physiological and psychological sort of um, inputs of different people in different regions. And he thought, well, maybe diet has something to do with it. So he, he conducted an experiment where he put rats uh, in different pens and fed them the food of those, those, those regions. Um, because rats eat anything that humans do, and they have a, a one one year of their life is equivalent to twenty five years of ours. And actually, over time, they develop the same physiology as those different regions in in India. So the penny began to drop, and he understood the significance. And going back to again your under, your concerns about mental health and diet, he showed then that you put in an urban diet into those rats and where they had a sociological coherence subsequently they were killing one another you know that was again this it goes back to the 1900s um there's so many people there was a guy called richard marconess i don't know if you come across richard marconess i haven't actually no, no. Okay, so this is more recently. Again, it, he was um, a doctor that was put in charge of, a, um, I, I can't remember the technical term for it, let's say a, a hospital for psychologically uh, difficult patients. Mm. This is, I think, the 1960s. And it's a, only a small book. It's well worth reading. And it's called It's Not Only in the Mind. And he changed the diet of the people in the hospital. And 30% of them were, were able to leave. Hey, wow. you know, where does that come onto the main news, you know? Mm -hmm. And those sorts of things. I mean, there's a book, I think I did send you something. I don't know if you, you saw it. Have you ever seen I that one? I think um, I was sent that in an email, but only kind of the flyer for it. But, yeah, if you that, just well, tell our listeners what it is. It's nutrition. What is it? Let me see the book it's again. called Nutrition and Mental Health, a That's handbook. It. And it, it was me that sent it to you, actually. No, I haven't got it. Oh, I have got the flyer. I have got, got the, the flyer. flyer. I need to get it, yeah. And this was this was written in uh, 2008 by a lady called um, Martina Watts. Not When I say she's she wasn't the, the writer, she was actually the editor of it. And she got together a number of different people, including myself, and said, look, I want you, each one of you have a certain field of expertise. Mm -hmm. I want you each to write something, I can't remember, maybe it was 3,000 words or something like that. In other words, no waffle. <laughs> and write about the significance of, for instance, minerals and trace elements, of the biome, of duh. And that the, res the result is a wonderful little document that you know people can read easily it's not it's not a lot of science jargon yeah, okay. in, in, involved in it and martina and i met one another um because she also set up a conference called um overfed and malnourished and we we and that again was related specifically to mental health considerations so again, we're seeing the connection between all of these different things. And yet, in that reductionist understanding, we have to put things in different boxes mm -hmm. without realizing that all are interconnected. And the same 
deficiency can reflect itself in different people in different ways mm-hmm. you know absolutely and I'm gonna pop all of those um kind of links to the book and everything into the show notes so all the listeners can because I'm sure they're avidly trying to write notes um while you're telling it all the like, but, fantastic um, recommendations of what people you know can just easily read to see if they're highlighting any of these deficiencies and the importance of the kind of integration between everything we're talking about I think we're so easily putting things in boxes but it's not that it's not that's not how kind of our bodies work is it so in not at all it's so, so entwined, entwined. In, in, in every in every possible sense and you know that that sort of um mind body spirit thing is not just a a, 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 a figment of people's imagination it is a reality mm. that you know people need to you know really work with uh, constructively not just for themselves individually but also in a family and community context and yeah you know, it's beginning to happen. It's like you said at the very beginning, you know, I, I've been banging my head against a brick wall. I feel like it, you know, for the last, you know, 40 odd years. But it, the penny is beginning to drop. People are beginning to have a, a sense of the significance of all of these different things. And, you know, to, um, again, like, dare I say it, going back into the understanding of pregnancy it it absolutely you know I I find it really really difficult to understand when you you deal with any animal breeders they will look at the sire and the the dam and they will make sure that nutritionally in every sense they are at their optimum before they breed them Mm. Somehow or other, that just passes us as human beings completely. And one of the big problems, especially with trace mineral deficiencies, is that mothers in particular, and I feel sorry to say mothers in particular, but they pass on deficiencies. And even with supplementation, it takes generations for that to actually come back to square one, if you like. Because the yeah. body needs these things more than they ever had before. Mm. Yeah. And that was one of the most, I remember having a, a, a big, uh, quite a few lectures on that actually, about the importance of the embryo and, you know, the importance of nutrition, but also the, the kind of the generational effect of that, of, you know, people that was, if your grandparents were starved in the war, however, 100 years ago, that will still affect you and your next baby today. And I find that yeah. absolutely mind-blowing. I thought that's a whole other podcast um, yeah, to actually no, address that, actually. That's a whole other podcast to, um, the, to, to explore. So there's another reason, if you like, that supplementation becomes an issue for those mm. people because they're not going to find what they need in just in the foods that they, they, they eat. Yeah. So there's all sorts of... There's no absolutes in this. Mm. You have to look at the individual concern and work with the individual accordingly. And when I say the individual, I mean not as a practitioner, but the person that listens to this podcast, they are the individual I'm talking about. They have to look at themselves. They have to Mm. look at their family environment and the circumstances, you know, that, 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 that their work schedule or otherwise requires of them mm. and of course the stimulants that we have in our society i.e teas coffees alcohol tobacco all the rest of it require the 
micronutrients to actually enable the body to come back to square one again. Otherwise, mm. you're, it's like putting your finger on a button of a torch. Ultimately, it goes flat. And mm. that's when symptoms begin to manifest. You have adrenal exhaustion and everything else associated with it. And it doesn't manifest itself necessarily with a spot on the end of your nose. It's one of these non-communicable diseases, again, mm. of that metabolic X syndrome type or worse. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, I I would love to carry this on, but I I need to kind of wrap this up and and, and I'm going to ask you a question. No, I mean, I have so many questions I want to ask you, and I feel like we're going to do another podcast, but it was so insightful. And I really feel that anyone who's listening now is looking at a wider, or hopefully, I hope my listeners are, are looking at a wider scope of their diet and taking in the other important factors, not just the macronutrients. This is where many people kind of focus their diet on the macros, the proteins, the carbohydrates and the fats and try to look at a, you know, a more open 360 multidimensional view of health and actually see, you know, are these, are certain physical symptoms or mental health symptoms popping up because maybe I'm not focusing in on the other elements that are obviously essential within our diet. That's a really important word. Um, But before we go, I always, always, always ask all of my guests a question. And I feel like this one I'm going to be the most fascinated by because I really want to know how you're going to answer it. Um, I always want to know, how do you live well and be well? Um, Oh, that's a lovely question. I think one of the, one of, I mean, first first and foremost, I think I was blessed with wonderful parents, absolutely wonderful parents, so that I grew up, um, I would say, in a a very non-stressful environment. Mm. And they always supported me and nourished me in that environment. So, you know, I, I bless them completely. And I think that a little bit like I mentioned to you at the beginning, if you want really good health, you need to select your great, great, great grandparents very well indeed. Then I also have a good constitutional health. Mm. Um, and I, I think that just the uh, the intrigue I have about um, evolution, in that's my geological bit coming in there, I find the evolution of the earth absolutely fascinating. Mm. And I, I also have quite deep, let's say, spiritual release, uh, not beliefs, knowings. Um, and and that gives me a huge support, you know, during the course of my life. So, that, you know, physically, mentally, emotionally, I don't think that we can ever concentrate on one without actually un- understanding that it's an integral part of all of those and each one influences the other so yeah no I, you know i look after myself as best i as i can mm. um i enjoy most of the things that people enjoy but i also do take supplementation i do have you know um a, a, i'm honestly you know I, I i have a lovely life i'm very blessed in all sorts of different ways so i'm very I've, i recognize i'm fortunate um, but I do think that people need to look at their lives um, and understand the lifestyle they have and the conflicts that they're in that lifestyle to enable them to optimise their life in the, in the best possible way. Mm. I think that's fantastic advice. 
And I think something that we're all starting to really realise after this pandemic is emotionally, physically and mentally are all intertwined. And I love that you kept referencing individual needs because I think that is one of the most important things is to not compare what other people are doing, but to really recognise and reflect on on what your Mm. needs are. And the reason why you are probably where you are today in your health and feeling happy and, and, you know, content, what's the word I'm looking for? Happy and (laughs) what's the word? Satisfied is the word I'm looking for. Mm. Content is the word that I'm looking for there. It's because you've really been very aware of all of these moving elements. Um, And sometimes I don't think all of us are. Um, so thank you for that insight, David. That was fantastic. And it's, I could talk to you all day, honestly, (laughs) on this. It's so fascinating. You have written so many incredible papers. You're so far ahead of your time in this. You know, the fact that we're doing a podcast on this now in 2021, and you've been researching this for 40 years just shows how ahead of the curve you were and ahead of the time. Um, and we're still not at, you know, the government's level of really making this you know aware of to our to our public health needs i think we've still got a long long way to go um but i hope that everyone who listened to this gained a lot of clarity and insight on the on the importance of these issues um so thank you so much for coming on and, and being a guest on our on our six series uh, well thank you sarah for the invite Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of Live Well, Be Well. I really hope you thoroughly enjoyed it and found it as interesting as I did. If you did enjoy it, please do leave a five-star rating and a review because I always love hearing if you're enjoying it or not. And until next week, I hope that you all live well and be well. Before you go, I have something new to tell you about. There's brand new bonus content waiting for you with every new guest I speak to. These are exclusively for my inner circle of Apple subscribers. To listen now, head to the Live Well, Be Well show page on Apple Podcasts, where you can activate your free trial and you can enjoy the podcast without adverts.